Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine St. Clair. All aboard! Crazy Train with Jasmine St. Clair. I hope everyone's been enjoying the guests so far. I decided to have a recall of two guests in one show. So those of you who have watched before or have not, please make sure to catch up on the episode with Christian Cipollini. He's a world-renowned and very well-respected researcher, writer, archivist, specifically when it comes to mafia um, and the underworld of drugs and cartels. In fact, he is in the middle of finishing an El Mano Negro book, and uh, he did a Lucky Luciano one. You've seen him all over A&E, Discovery Channel, speaking about the war on drugs, amongst other things. My other guest on this episode, Seth Ferranti, some of you may know from the White Boy Rick documentary. And Seth was also the very first um, very kind of young convict. I mean, he, he was sent to jail for 25 years for a nonviolent offense, drugs. So in that 20, in, the, in that time, he did a lot of research. And he and Christian started collaborating slowly but surely. And, you know, here they are. They've made this amazing creation called Dope Men, America's First Drug Cartel, which is on Amazon. So make sure you get it on Amazon or Google Play to get the real look at the origins of cartels and drugs. Here they are. Okay, so I know that a lot of you out there who've been very loyal listeners since day one of my crazy train are very familiar with both Christian Cipollini and Seth Ferranti. So I brought them back because they have the most amazing documentary out right now on Amazon called Dope Man, America's First Cartel. So many places focus on like the more modern day issues we have, like with the opioid crisis and all the other cartels. How did your collaboration actually happen? It it was born, what was it, like 2016? We were, if I got, if I remember, we were at a convention together and I'm paraphrasing, but Seth was like, hey man, you know, what are you thinking about working on next? And I, I kind of explained, well, kind of how all the famous mobsters were involved in the early narcotics trade. Because, you know, that had come to my attention and Seth immediately was like, maybe we should make a movie out of this. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the birth of it. Do I have it right, man? We'd already been working on the, the Lucky comic book. And my relationship with Christian dates back to when I was in prison. He actually was designing some of my book covers. He like reached out to me about my writing one time before he even really started writing. He was just doing graphic design stuff. Mm -hmm. And so he started doing some book covers for me and other stuff. And then like I encouraged him, you know, to write. He said he wants to write these books. And I was like, well, just do it. And, you know, then eventually I got out and we were doing the Lucky Comic Book. I, I was trying to start this true crime comic series. And that, that was one of the stories we wanted to tell. And, yeah, just getting more into it from reading that comic book. I, I was just like, man, there's like a lot of interesting stuff you know, that, that people don't know about. And, and Christian, like, knew all this stuff. He just had all this crazy research, and he had all these old pictures, and I was just, like, amazed. So I was like, basically, yeah, let's make a film. And then, you know, we had a basic concept, but then, you know, he went in and he wrote the script, and, and you know, a lot of the research was, was based off the books he already did, you know, but then he would, like, learn new stuff, and we did all the interviews, and 
I mean, a long time though. We probably worked on this. Like I said, the first conversation was probably 2016. I would say maybe we started in earnest, you know, you know, 2017, 2018. So this, this is about, a, you know, it's like about five, six years to put together. I'm glad someone did it because people are so unaware of the origins of it, which I find fascinating because everyone always thinks it's here. It's in the streets. And you deal with a lot of the underbelly of society. Both of you do. Uh, but then the interesting thing, and I mentioned this to Christian before, and I know people are going to say something when I post this, is China. So many things lead back to China. And we're talking about opium and morphine and where were the true origins? Was it China, like you said, and all the railroad workers came here? And do you think there's some kind of, I don't know, payback China is trying to like get on us for this? I mean, I, I just, it's this weird conspiracy theory I have. I'm not so sure it's a conspiracy, but I, I kind of think that life, society's history has an ebb and flow and almost cycles. So as we point out in the film, not to go too far off on this, but opium was grown in the Far East. There's other places, but it, it was part of their culture. So when they came here to basically do the hard work of building railroad systems, they brought their particular vice with them. So now that we have fentanyl, again, not to go down this rabbit hole, China leads in a lot of ways in chemical production, synthetic, or, you know, type of things. So them, I don't know, cornering the market on the precursor chemicals to fentanyl doesn't surprise me. I don't know that it's a conspiracy, but hey, who knows? We've seen, Seth and I have seen stranger things just in what we write about. So is it possible? Yes. But maybe it's just a cycle of things. Here we are. And we do kind of address the cycle of things in the film. At least I hope we do. I don't know. Seth, what do you think? I mean, a lot of that stuff originates there, especially like the precursors and stuff. So, I mean, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about money. You know, people are trying to make money. You know, the, the gangsters are trying to make money. The mobsters are trying to make money. You know, the Chinese officials or whatever. I mean, does it hurt that they think they might be, you know, poisoning us or whatever? I mean, yeah, yeah, that can all go into it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about it's about money. That's why these mobsters first got into dope in the first place, because before Prohibition, you know, the mobsters were basically like mom and pop operations, you know, like street corner thugs based in their neighborhoods. You know, Prohibition, the money that they generated from Prohibition made them real players, you know, and turned them into like this corporate type entity. And then it was guys like like how we break down in the film, we break down the chapters, we go to these different personalities like, you know, Arnold Rothstein, Lucky Luciano, Jack Legs Diamond. You know, it took a guy like Arnold Rothstein, you know, to kind of school these street corner thugs, smart guys, but still street corner thugs to kind of, you know, school them on 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 the way America works. And America works on a corporate level. It doesn't work on a mom and pop level. True. Yeah, that's super true. And like one thing that really interested me was I love, I don't know if this is you, Christian. A lot of people don't know this, but Christian is the best researcher in the world. I don't care what anyone says. Like he's found stuff I didn't even know was out there. But he he wrote this and co-produced it with Seth being the director. And Seth, you know, has done so many wonderful things, such as White Boy Rick and so forth. But where did you get these photos of the old morphine ads, it looks like they were selling it straight off of like a newspaper ad, or you could just walk into a drugstore. So I was confused at that point. 
could people actually access it if you're like a board or just, I don't know, you're a housewife in pain from like post-surgery or something? Could you just get it from the drugstore or did you really need to see a doctor back then? Some narcotics were available over the counter. As time went on and uh, society kind of recognized that there was this addiction issue, then it became doctors had to keep like tighter records on it. But originally in the mid 1800s, when morphine was discovered and then heroin and cocaine was available to some extent, they were remedies. But then there was the addiction thing. And to something Seth said, and money rules the world. So when you suddenly have an addiction problem, even back then, one of the guests in our film mentioned how suddenly there were rehab centers, to, for lack of a better term, because there was money to be made off the addiction that they figured was happening. But yes, the short answer is you could buy laudanum, heroin, morphine over the counter. Then it was more regulated, taxed and scrutinized. Uh, more closely until it was outright banned in a lot of cases, not in medicine, like morphine was still available in medicine still is today. It's the only substance that does what it does. So sorry, I took that like way out there, but. That's the beauty of you though. You just go way out there with it. Then more <laughs> things come up, you know? <laughs> Yo, and as for finding the photos, that's, I, I always say this, I, I suck at a lot of things, but I'm really good at finding needles in haystacks if I get hyper-focused. So yeah, archiving and finding the rare, whether it's a newspaper or a United Nations document, it's one of the few things I'm good at, so. Yeah, we also had Avi Bath. Avi Bath worked yep. with Christian as an archivist on, on this project. You know, so he, you know, him and Christian, Pretty much anything we needed, they could find. You know, the editor would tell me, me and the editor would talk about it. And I would go to Christian or we'd go to Abby and we'd be like, hey, do you got anything like this? And and they would search and they would find it. I got to give a shout out to Avi too, because that guy, that guy's been just like Seth. He has been helping me on my journey because I'm like the newer kid on the block and they helped me get to where I am. And Avi's a behind the scenes guy. He goes above and beyond. I'll leave it at that. I'll just say thank you. And to Seth, too. But everybody who's helped out. But yeah, Avi deserves a shout out. So This sounds kind of crazy. Just because, okay, so so when I saw the ads that Avi and you found, and the really cool one was the one with the, it was very colorful, like with a gazebo. It looks like you're almost in your own backyard. It was very Americana-ish. Like, I felt like I would have gone out and bought it myself. You know, a lot of people like, did. I don't even do drugs. Like I had an epidural earlier and I was freaking out that needle. I don't know how big it is, but the lidocaine just stung me so much. I flipped out. So it definitely there was targeting, which I feel has somehow progressed. And like today they target certain youth in certain neighborhoods with these things through vaping and so forth. And you mentioned Rothstein. What were his actual lessons that he left back for his predecessor, his protege for his street executives and, yes. and they were definitely street executives what advice did Rothstein have what lessons were there Rothstein was a mentor but he was an opportunist he was not a gang boss 
but he saw the potential lucrative value of hiring these guys, but he schooled them in order so that they could operate within society, not garner that much notice, like to blend in, to assimilate. But at the same time, Rothstein was thinking about himself, like, why else would he do this? There's money to be made. I'll use these tough guys. I'll train them. I'll protect them. But that's because, as one of our experts said, he's about protecting himself. But Seth, go ahead with the with your assessment. Well, I think before I mentioned like the, the mom and pop in the, in the corporate type structure and Arnold Rothstein was instrumental in that because Arnold Rothstein, you know, was his primary way of making money at first was what well, he was a gambler. You know, he fixed the World Series. You know, that was how he made money. Then he got into prohibition because he saw the opportunity. Then he got into dope and, you know, on and on. And, you know, but obviously he was murdered. But he was like that bridge, you know, because for gamblers, legitimate people in the upper world gamble and, you know, the people in the underworld gamble. So there's that there's that crossover. So he had those connections and sometimes you know, the, 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 the government people or the law enforcement people, they need some type of help and he could get the, you know, the tough guys to do it. And the same, you know, sometimes the tough guys needed help. So he was like that bridge, you know, so he helped to make these mobsters. And I, I think he really had a big effect on Lucky Luciano because Lucky Luciano from the commission, the Italian mafia and all that. And I think he got a lot of, he saw how Honor Rothstein had stuff set up, how he could operate on these multiple levels and and he emulated that because you know he was a smart dude, but you know basically he started out he was he was just like a you know street corner tough guy, a thug, you know. But these guys evolved through their association with Rothstein, and I, I don't think that has ever been credited enough in history before this film. Right. It's never been mentioned, and I've seen a lot of these documentaries, and they go into the Colombian cartels and all the Mexican cartels, Cuban, everything. But nobody's ever really mentioned Jewish people, nor have they mentioned Irish people. They've mentioned Italian a little bit because, you know, you, you guys are Italian. They're always engaged in some sort of debauchery, whether it's a saloon <laughs> or a brothel or something like that. And nothing's wrong with that because that all comes in the whole Roaring Twenties era where there was a good time with flappers and saloons and the drugs and everything else that's out there. When do you think that this started to become more of the blame started to come towards Colombia or like South America in general and Mexico. I'm going to say, I kind of have a, a blanket statement for this. Okay. There always needs to be a fall guy or if you will, a poster boy at the time in 1931, Al Capone was the poster boy. Now are, th are these individuals or group somehow responsible for themselves being made poster boy? Sure. But then Luciano in 36, you get up to modern times, Gotti, okay, it can be argued because he was too flashy, but with Colombia, it was because, not because they weren't supplying cocaine, to answer your question, but because the government and society, pop culture, we tend to like to have that poster boy or girl. And it was very easy to make it, say, Pablo Escobar by the mid-1980s, even though he was part of a group of five to ten people. It's We always pick one, but it's usually based 
I would think on what is the substance that's making the news. In the late 70s, it was like, oh, my God, this cocaine. In the early 70s, oh, this heroin. You know, in the 1920s, it was it was mostly opiates. But anyway, Seth, what's your thought? There's just this 100-year parallel, you know, between, you know, this the, the drug war goes back to the 1920s before prohibition even ended. So there's like this 100-year parallel with law enforcement on one side, and the dope men on the other side. So, you know, it's gone from the Italians, you know, to the Colombians, you know, to even the, the African-Americans in the inner city, to the Mexicans, the Asians. And now I would say, you know, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies, you know, so, so these dope men, you know, it, it, it has coexisted. So it's just been like this hundred year battle. And what I always think is crazy is, I mean, people have abused substances or look for ways to escape for since the beginning of humanity. So I don't know. It's just like creating, like, like we go back into like the money thing. You know, people are going to chase some money. People are going to do this, you know, whatever, you know, Harry Anslinger did what he did. I'm sure he felt like he was completely right in forming the Bureau of Narcotics, you know, the predecessor of the DEA and, you know, pursuing people like Billy Holiday and Lucky Luciano. But, you know, the dude was racist, you know, and, and the model prohibition created the model for the drug war. And, you know, the drug war was just used to target, like, like black and Spanish. You know, dudes like me, I, I got involved and, in, you know, I was thrown into it too. But the laws were mainly set up, you know, for minorities, you know, for people of color. So you can see it's just these racist ideals that have gone on this 100-year thing. And why has this policy, that this, this, this model that started prohibition, why did it last so long? And, you know, that feeds into what Christian was talking about, like these different figureheads. We always got to say, oh, he's the boss, he's the boss, he's the boss. You know, but I think it goes to that whole pop culture thing. And, you know, America lo loves its outlaws. America loves its antiheroes. We all love the underdog because mm -hmm. the underdog always wins in the end. And the underdog is far more interesting. I mean, look at your story, Seth. And why have you chosen to do, like, was this documentary personal to you in any way, shape or form? Like, personally, was someone affected by this? I was a victim of the drug war. So, you know, I mean, I, I buy it. I did 21 years in prison for a first time nonviolent offense. So I was always like, as I was doing that time, and I think as my writing has evolved and my worldview, I was, it was I was mad. Like, well, I was like, why, why was I locked up? So, you know, I had to look back and read as much as I can. And then, you know, I meet somebody like Christian and he takes me back even further, you know? So I'm like curious. I'm like, why? My own thing is like, why? Why did I have to do 25 years as a first time nonviolent offender at 20 years old? You know? So, Christian took me back and, you know, it's for my own, I do this stuff. It's like for my own understanding, right. you know, I make stuff that I want to watch. Same, you know, but still it's, 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 I, I want to learn, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff. So, you know, that's, that's what it's about for me. I think a lot of people should watch it because there's so many other things out there that just aren't giving them the right information. Aside from that, what else makes your documentary different than anything aside from what we just said is that it's the real history. What I think makes it most different is exactly what drew me to research this anyway. Overall, in the hour and 10 minutes, it gives different sides to the bigger story. We had different voices because I grew up sort of having one voice in my ear. And with mad respect for my late dad, he really believed in fighting the good fight. But today, I'd probably have a spirited little discussion with him that 
I think there's more to it. Maybe he knew that too, but it, it made me want to dig deeper. And I, I think the film kind of points out, all right, for those of you that think the mob, Jewish or Italian, didn't deal dope, you're wrong. And I'm not saying that to just to be pretentious. It's I was wrong. And here's the facts. And if anyone thinks there's an easy fix to this issue, we're all wrong because I don't think there is. And I believe our film kind of shows that and also dispels some myths, but also throws in some really cool anecdotal things you might not have known that these people were connected. Capone connected with the Legs Diamond to Lucky Luciano. You know, all these guys pre-social media were like, I mean, they were connected like this. You can't make this up. It, I hope the film puts it all out there, that there's a history that, as Seth said, we're still repeating. We haven't fixed it. And it started with bootlegging, which just paved the way for, okay, take away drugs. We already know how to do this now. So anyway, I'm sorry, Seth, go ahead. The mainstream media always, always paints a picture. And, you know, more often than not, it's, it's usually the, the government line, you know, because that's who's funding them or people who are funding the government are funding them. You know, it, it's all about money. So it's all about control. It's all about propaganda. So what we're trying to do with this film is, yeah, like I said before, I'm biased. So anything I make is, is going to be biased. You know, I'm on the different side. I was outside the matrix for 21 years. You know, I wasn't plugged in. So I'm going to show it this way. You know, this is my truth. This is my reality. You know, and it conflicts with, with mainstream or, or popular culture. And that's good, you know, because sometimes the powers that be, they paint a picture that's not true. So I'm just trying to show the truth. And I think, too, since the pandemic and a lot of stuff has happened, and, and I don't know, I don't really like that term woke, you know, when some people out try to act like they're woke. But, you know, people have just thought more and, and stuff has changed. And, you know, like in the 50s, if somebody from the 50s, you know, that generation, they would never think that our government was corrupt or our government could do this or our law enforcement. But, you know, you look, you know, to, to maintain world power, our government and, and its operating agencies, be it the CIA or whatever, they've done all types of stuff. And I, I'm not saying I blame them. You know, it's a cutthroat world, just like, you know, gangs are cutthroat on the street. You know, governments are, are cutthroat in international politics. But, you know, at the same time, all these myths and you know, half truths or whatever have been created, you know, and this picture has been painted. So, you know, I, I think with this, we just kind of chip away at that picture. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's up for the audience to decide, you know, I can't change your mind. You can think whatever you want to think. You can have whatever opinion you want to have, you know, check out the movie, see what you think. You know, if you agree, you know, I did the same thing when, when with White Boy, with Sean Rick and Transition Studios, you know, we want to put all the facts out there as we see him from this alternative angle, not this mainstream prosecutor view and, and, and let the people decide, you know, and if we can change your mind, great. You know, if not, you know, stick to your core values or whatever you believe more power to you. It's so much like the PMRC, like banning heavy metal albums. And, right. you know, I went out and I bought the albums. Oh, there it's offensive language. Oh, definitely buying it. Oh, there's, talks about murder, there's violence, there's blood, that's definitely buying it. It's Explicit a lyrics sticker, that's what I bought. Yeah, that's it. So it's the same with substances. And I'm not saying there's, again, there's no quick fix, but the film we try to show, everyone has an agenda. 
There is a very gray area between villain and hero in the drug and alcohol issue of today. I think the film hopefully demonstrated that we're probably still dealing with this as a criminal problem as opposed to, in my opinion, it's more of a social mental health issue. Seth is definitely, I mean, he was, you know, lived it on the ground, what in the punishment being a poster boy of the criminality. And I'm not saying people should just go free and do whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying I have the answer. I just think that we're, our film tries to show this started way before Nixon in the DEA. And uh, I'll just throw this in, and I'm sure Seth will have something to say about this. If the war on drugs ended tomorrow, there'd be a lot of people out of work on both sides. So back to the money thing, it's too much of an investment for everybody now. So I don't see how you you fix that. But all right, that's my philosophical point. Go ahead, Seth. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I just go back to the narrative. You know, we, we've been fed, force-fed this narrative, like through the media, through popular culture, through movies, you know, through school, through the government. So we, we've just, in this country, been bombarded through advertising, commercials, you know. So we've just been bombarded with these, this narrative, like our whole life. So, you know, once... And I'm, I'm American, so I'm not saying I hate my country or whatever. My country is not this or my country. Whatever. I'm American. I'm proud to be American. But, you know, once I got thrown in prison and then I'm in a different reality, you know, so you kind of you look at some this stuff different. So I, I'm just trying to say, you know, this, this this is a narrative, you know, is is this a correct narrative? Is this the right narrative? You know, is this some alternate reality? I mean, I don't know, but it, it is whatever you want it to believe. You know, I'm not going to tell somebody, you know, my truth is their truth. Everybody has different truth. But we put this together. You know, we're passionate about this. We're passionate about telling the story. And and this is the truth as we see it. You know, are, are we right? Are we some, you know, ancient historians that can, you know, shape history or whatever? No, but, you know, at the same time, they always say, you know, whoever wins, write the history however they want it. So, you know, we're just trying to win a little and, and get our history out there, what we're talking about and how we see it. I really mm-hmm. love the guests that you had in the documentary. I thought they were so compelling in everything they said, and, and it was so constructive and it made sense. But, of course, the question will always be, what can we possibly do to curb this? Because we're never going to stop it. Wow. I, I don't I don't know if if we could possibly have the answers, even if I had a degree in psychology. I, I don't. This has been going on since the beginning of civilization. People will find something. I guess the question that made me interested in this beyond the gangsters and how fascinated I was of who was involved it made me question, yeah, right, is there an answer or is there some moral compass that we're all supposed to follow or is it even that bad that somebody wants to smoke an opium pipe over here and somebody over here wants to do yoga? Is I'm not so sure I can judge. And our film, as you said, with some of the guests, we even brought in DEA, we brought in college professor, other experts that are colleagues of ours to give – the different perspectives, some opinions, but all based on a lot of evidential 
kind of facts, I guess. Seth. I don't know. What do you think? I know. I, I think there is because there's another direct correlation, which I, I think we draw in this film. You know, it's, it's not spoken. It's unspoken. The pharmaceutical companies have been around for 100 years. The drug war has been around for 100 years. Prohibition was a model for the drug war. So, you know, I mean, I don't know where these rich people sitting around, you know, let's do this on alcohol and we can start using it on drugs. I mean, do they look that far ahead of time, like decades and decades? I, I don't know. You know, but I know in the 80s, we used to say 10% of the population had all the money. Now it's like 1% of the population. So, you know, pharmaceuticals is, is, is a big industry. I mean, I think they say like diabetes is an $11 billion industry a year and, and cancer is even like bigger like 15 billion dollars a year cancer and both of these are are created by men you know the diabetes i mean it's, it's man-made diseases you know from people cutting corners in industry or our processed food or where they make people live by these factories you know so i just think you know it, 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 at the end of the day it's it's mostly about greed and you know when, if we didn't have yeah because before the pharmaceutical companies, it was healers. It was, you know, shaman. It was, you know, village, you know, nurses or stuff. And they used to use a lot of natural stuff. It wasn't like this money thing. Now with the insurance and everything and the doctors, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it, it's crazy, man. It's like capitalism, you know, ran rampant, you know, almost like the evil side of capitalism. And as a result of that greed of the pharmaceutical companies and industry and the medical profession, we, you know, I think it's a direct correlation. You can see why we've had this drug war because it goes back to the mafia. Why, why does the mafia say we don't sell heroin? Because that's what they're making all their money off of. So right. of course they're going to say, Oh, we don't sell heroin. We don't sell heroin. So, okay. So all these pharmaceutical companies, they're making money off mind altering substances, you know, or, or, you know, not just that, but other stuff, you know, so what are they going to say? Oh, all these other ones that have been around for thousands of years, let's attack them. Let's have a drug war so we can make all the money legally and all, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's sleight of hand. It's deflection, you know, it's making the public, you know, and then, you know, the powers that be write the narrative. So that's all I'm trying to do. I, I, ever since I got 25 years in, in prison, it was first time non-valid offender. And I felt there was no way I deserved that. And I think a lot of people agree. I, I've just been trying to break down these narratives. I've been trying to break down these mainstream views, you know, because most people would hear that and be, oh, he deserved to be locked up. No, I didn't. I didn't deserve to be locked up, not for that amount of time. So that's kind of my that's kind of my whole thing. You know, let, let's kind of break down these narratives. Let's look at it. So I, I think, yeah, put these pharmaceutical companies out of business. And, and we, can stop, we can stop all this. On that point, going back with something I the film tried to show as well, but I'll point out very, very black and white. Harry Anslinger, who was head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics when it yep. was created in 1930. What I found interesting years ago that made me go, huh, is why is the Bureau of Narcotics overseen by the Treasury Department and not the Department of Justice. Why? Because of what Seth was saying. It was about one thing. This is not a conspiracy. It's a fact. The government wasn't getting their cut of this illicit business or even the, the legitimate. So 
that why was a department of narcotics created under the treasury department because it's all about money uh, that, that was just something that struck me and almost offended me to the point that i wanted to dig more like that shouldn't be shouldn't it be the justice department okay so now the dea is but come on we a hundred years ago we created a system that was based on we're not getting our cut so and again i'm not just picking on the government but it's this dance that's been played and still is that's why i say if it ended tomorrow there'd be a lot of people out of work it goes back to what a friend and i said a couple of weeks ago when big government says jump the smart people sit on their asses and they do the research and you see what the hell's really going on and what the enemies are because you have these bankers and so forth. Yeah, let's keep, you know, let's do it this way. This way we'll, you know, we'll make the money. This is how it's going to be done. If we push this out there and it's, there's a film I saw, this is where it's going, about increasing your life expectancy by up to 20 years. There are centurions that live in certain small towns around this yeah, world. I saw that. They do not have, yeah, they do not have processed foods. They do not have social media all over the place. They do not have convenience stores that have so many bad, foods they do not have gyms they don't have a lot of cars it's all physical it's all processing it's human connection and so forth so going back to what seth said it's true it's like society is designed to kill us with these things and there are people out there getting their pockets lined by it yeah not to get too again philosophical but yeah. I'll, I'll just add it's okay for us to consume whatever kind of shit is out there that's deemed socially acceptable but if you were a chinese immigrant just hitting your by the way naturally occurring substance in a pipe you were demonized so again not a conspiracy but you look at well how do we as governments and societies decide what's okay and what's not cigarettes are bad but wine's okay but who says who so in our film again we're not trying to get all philosophical but we're trying to point out facts in the interesting characters that were involved and they're not always who people thought they were and they might not be what you think they are and that, again back to the good guy versus bad guy there's a big gray area and it's the same in modern time who either side of the government republican democrat i don't know they both eat from the same trough so, you know, there, that's my soapbox. Well, wait a second. You said something about wine. There is a 118-year-old woman who has a glass of wine every day. And she's been doing that for many years. So maybe that's one of the keys to living longer. So it's oh, not okay. as That might be one of the magic elixirs. I don't know. Some people swear by weed. Some people smoke till they're 104. I don't, I guess... What it is, though, and what Dope Men tries to show is not every bad guy you think was the one who created this problem, and not every good guy you think is really looking out for your best interest. It's take it all, I guess, is, is what I hope that film shows that, I don't know, there's a lot to it. I'm glad you guys collaborated, because you two... I, I think would be the dream team to work with for anything. And it's super hard because you see so many people trying to collaborate on things that at one point they think it just gets dropped because there's so many collisions and thoughts. What would you say each of you are the three key takeaways from the film, even though I know there are more? 
The drug war has been going on a hundred years. Um, the mafia, despite you know the Godfather and all these other movies, uh, you know, sells dope. They don't condone it. That's how they they make their money. And the third most important thing is, I mean, there's layers and layers and layers and layers to, to anything, especially when you get into history like this old. You know, we're talking about a hundred years ago. There's just a layer. You know, there's stuff that came out that at the time people didn't want to know, you know. So, you know, in, in looking back, you know, with with a historical perspective, I mean, you, you could just see things in different ways and, and realize what they are. And you can draw conclusions. Maybe no one says it or the people alive can't say it, but you can just draw conclusions by looking at things and judging human nature. I would say the first thing to take away is that like most everything else, it just shows the world runs on the law of supply and demand. They A supply was taken away, whether, whether you agreed with it or not, and a demand was created. That is number one. Number two, there is an ebb and flow. It's like the Roman Empire wasn't going to stay on top forever. So to your earlier point of then the Escobar era or the Gaudi or, or Chapo, the Italians the Jews and some Irish were really the foundation of what we now call a cartel. And we use that word loosely too much, but generally that's why we titled the film as such. It was the first international forming. I want people to take away from this. This was going on way before cell phones and, and TikTok. And thirdly, Seth's, one of Seth's already said, is yeah, the mob dealt dope, period. Wow. I wonder if it was good stuff. No, I, I didn't really experience Studio 54 back in that era. I think I was underage, but I heard the stories just later on in life. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> with that said, I know you guys have some things coming up. December 14th is the first date at the Mob Museum. Are you going to be there, Seth? And tell us exactly what we're doing or what that is. Yeah, we're going to be there. It hasn't, it hasn't been officially announced. Like, it's not on the website. But, yeah, they, they invited us. We're going to show the film. Um, me and Christian are going to be there for a panel. Uh, I don't know if the Mob Museum is going to fly any of the other people in. You know, we'll see. But uh, we're definitely going to be there. And, you know, it's going to be – Christian's – I've never done a Mob Museum event before, so this will be a first for me. And Christian's done them before. So I, I, I know they got, like, a little room. You know, it's not, like, anything massive. But, you know, it, it's, it's kind of small. But – you know, you know, little, little, they pack a lot of people into a little room, you know, so they put on good events. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We had a lot of conversations as, as we built this and crafted this, but you know, it, it would, it would really, you know, we'd like to premiere it at the mob museum or, or have something to do with the mob museum. So, you know, being that they, they, they came to us about it. That, that's pretty awesome. It's going to be good. I'll just add, we're going to do show the film. And then a Q&A with the entire panel, which is always fun. And the other thing we got is my graphic novel that Seth's company put out again. We started that way back, 2015, 16. And the graphic novel full thing is here. So I'm like a kid that's giddy with excitement. And we're going to do a book signing too. So where can we find the dates? Uh, it, it'll yeah, it'll be on the mom museum eventually. I, I think they only they only uh, post like the next two months, you know. So probably by October, November, it'll be up. Probably October, it'll be up, you know, on their website. And yeah, the the film Dopeman, America's First Drug Cartel, it's on Amazon. 
you know, Krishna is the star of it. You know, not only did he write and produce it and work as an archivist, he wore a lot of hats. He's also the star of the film, you know, the, the main character that's talking. And yeah, you can rent it. You can rent it on Amazon. You can buy it on Amazon. If you would do, I would say please leave a review. Reviews are, are huge for a small independent studio funded by independent investors like, like Outlaw Films. I'm competing against Netflix. I'm competing against Showtime. I'm competing. You know, these guys' marketing budgets are, are more than, you know, five times my budget. You know, so yeah, review of that helps, but it's also on Tubi, so you can watch it with ads. It's also like on Google Play, and you know, it's it's out there, man. So if you want to see it, go watch it, and if you watch it, please please review it. Tell us what you think. And yeah, thank you, Jasmine, for having us on here and, yes. and promote this film. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, I love the film. I really do, and I've always believed in the two of you since day one. You know, especially with Christian and meeting you. And, you know, I encourage everyone to watch the film on Amazon and don't forget to please review it because that is what keeps real journalism, real films alive. And that's what we need in this day and age. We don't need to see any more stupid, like soppy love stories or whatever stupidity they're putting out there. Just watch this. I promise you it will change the way you think about drugs and cartels and just it was a really good history lesson. I thought it was. So don't forget to watch Dope Men on Amazon. I will be posting the links. And do you have any? Yeah, I'm at, at Seth Ferrante on pretty much everything or Outlaw Films. And yeah, just remember, this This is volume one. You know, this, this is going to be a series. I'm looking at 10 episodes. You know, like I said, I'm not Netflix, so I can't do them all at once. I don't have that infrastructure. You know, a real small company with not that many employees. But, you know, over the over the next, you know, whatever it takes, two, three, four years, we're going to keep keep putting these episodes out. And they're all going to be like standalone, but they're all going to be. Yeah, we're just getting started. And speaking of, yeah, check out GorillaConvict.com, Seth's site, because I'm also going to be releasing a book on there soon, which was years in the making. And I knew I'd get it done right So with Seth. So I'm excited for that, which, as you know, Jasmine is El Mano Negra. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited. And Seth and I want to make the dope men a profound ongoing series that really does address like you know cultural and uh historical things that i think are still relevant today and i'll leave it on that so i sent him some christmas cards this year still i should i send jose christmas oh cards? oh yeah. yeah no he's in a they they are moving around it's a whole other thing i have to tell you yeah, about we'll it that a different time but all oh, there were there were fun sending i like sending cards to jail sometimes it was yes. fun um not not from there but to there uh okay yes. well thank you very much guys and i will let you know when this comes up it was really great catching up with both of you 